Acts 5:17 through 42. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Amen. How are we doing this morning? Do you guys like being happy? 
Happiness is a good thing, right? It's good to be happy. I, I remember uh, several years ago uh, being at the Timbers and working out, and uh, I'm not up on pop music, to be honest with you. I, I, I kind of am stuck in, in, you know, 70s, 80s rock, uh, Motown, you know, the good music. Uh, but every once in a while, you'll hear a song when you're uh, at the Timbers, because that's all they play is pop music. We're going, you're like, oh, that's catchy. I can, and, and I remember hearing a song one time by a guy named Farrell Williams called Happy. You know the song? You know, I mean, you can't help but dance. And you see the video, he's got that cute little hat. And he, like just seeing him sing, it makes you happy, right? And, and, and the lyrics, you know, he, he sings, uh, clap along if you feel, uh, feel like a room without a roof because I'm there you go. Clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth because I'm... Clap along if you know that happiness is what happiness is to you because I'm... Clap along if you feel like that's what you want to do. I, I, this, this song is kind of the anthem of not just our time, I think of all times. This call that, that we desire happiness. Like nobody goes, hey, you know what I want to do is I want to sign up for a life that is miserable. That's my goal. Um, I, I, I want my life to be really boring and awful, um, and so this is my life purpose. I, I, I want to be sad all the time. Like, nobody starts and, and goes that way. Yet, we live in a culture where um, the pursuit of happiness, you know, it's in our founding document, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is core to what we believe we have the right to. And at the same time, the further we go into the American experiment, the more the metrics of, of studies are telling us that, that that quest for happiness is eluding us, right? Um, our culture has come to the point where it's absolutely told you that happiness is the greatest goal. And as happiness is the greatest goal, you should do whatever makes you happy. And if you do whatever makes you happy, that that is the way you will find fulfillment in life. And so you follow your own path, do your own thing, and, and pursue whatever makes you happy. And as we see people doing this, creating whole new identities out of this desire to be happy, being told that the way to happiness is just be who you want to be, create your own identity, just pursue your own path. The more we do this, the more we can, as believers in Jesus, we can look at our culture and go, this ain't working. It is not resulting in happiness. Suicide rates, especially among teenagers right now, are skyrocketing. The number of, of people who are on antidepressant medication has skyrocketed through the roof. And this, is, this reaches from adults all the way down to children. We are, like our culture, our country, the Western ideal has been the greatest in all of human history pursuit of happiness, and the outcome is that we are the least happy people anywhere. What do we do with that? Now, now one way is to say, well, that shouldn't be the goal, but believe it or not, my argument this morning for you is to tell you that the pursuit of happiness is God's desire for you. Did, did, did you realize that God actually wants you to have this life that has joy and happiness and, and beauty in it? There are some people who have come along in the name of spirituality and said, what we need to do is we need to not be happy. We need to, to make our lives as miserable as we can. That's how we honor God. I don't think that's glorifying to God. I think what is glorifying to God is when we find our joy in him. And in the midst of any circumstance, we end up being people who rejoice and, and can celebrate life no matter what the circumstance that looks weird to the culture. They don't know what to do with that. That religious people who aren't doing all the stuff that the culture is doing are the most happy. By the way, the, the same like, sort of studies and metrics keep looking at Christians going, you know what, Christians 
who are being despised or rejected because we're killing the happiness of the world are the most happy people. Most fulfilled marriages, best sex lives are people who live in a monogamous marriage. I mean, just all that stuff. You know, there's this, this, this beauty that culture keeps telling us that honoring Christ and, and following the ways of God and the way God designed us and made us is actually the path to the greatest happiness. But God's desire is for you to be happy. There's a, a, a philosopher named Blaise Pascal. He was a mathematician and philosopher. Um, he actually uh, is one of the, the great mathematicians that led to the explosion of you know, just any modern math theory. And that's where I leave it because I don't know what that means. My son could probably tell you, in fact, I'll encourage my son, Josiah, you need to study Pascal because he's one of the great mathematicians of all time. But he, he also met Christ. But he said this, he said, uh, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to, make, but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. Pascal, who also is a philosopher and is a, a, was a follower of Jesus, is saying something that is true. We will move towards what we believe makes us happy, what fulfills our life, what gives us meaning and purpose, what fills our soul. And, and as you are here today, the question is, what makes you happy? What gives you joy? What is it that fills your life? Now, into the midst of this, there are a few passages of Scripture that when I read them, for me, they fillet my soul and leave me trembling. Just trying to make sense of it. And the conclusion of this crazy story is one of them. Grab your Bible again. I want you to look again at verses, chapter 5, verses 41 and 42. Just look at this. I'm sorry, verse... Verse 40. And when they, they, meaning this council, Sanhedrin, we'll come back to who these people are in a few minutes. When they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now, we'll get back to this, but understand what's going on here. They beat them, but just a few minutes ago, in the story, not in the sermon, a few minutes ago in the story, they were ready to send them out in the streets and have them publicly executed. For a moment, the story of the Bible looked like the story of the 12 apostles was going to end on one day in about 33 or 34 AD at the hands of these men. And they are living the story. They don't have the Bible to go back and go, hey, let, let, let's jump forward and see how this ends. Is this the end? Like they are living it. So they don't know. They've been threatened with their life. A guy steps in. We'll talk about him in a minute. And then they come back and it says they, they shame them and they publicly beat them and let them go. This beating was, was kind of two-pronged, and it had two goals. The first is it was a deterrent for them and anybody who was kind of hanging out with them going, cut this out. We're not letting this go. This, that, you keep doing what you're doing, and it gets worse from here. It is a deterrent. It is a whipping, a public whipping where they took them out, took their clothes off their back, took a whip. With, they normally had three, three uh, pieces of straps of leather to it, and they just started popping them with it as much as they could, so much so that would have left them scarred and bruised and all this sort of stuff. Here's a, a, another one of those passages that leaves me shaking is the fact that in Galatians, Paul, who's not a Christian in our story yet, but he becomes one, says this phrase. He says, I bear in my body the marks of the gospel. 
That sounds like a cute metaphor. It's not. Paul is telling us that if he took his shirt off and he showed us his back, it would look like that picture that we have of slavery that changed the world. That, that his body is wounded and marred. He limps. He's got all kinds of health problems because he would not stop preaching Jesus. This was a deterrent. They are whipping them, leaving them scarred and marred, broken and battered because they preached Christ. But it is also in a honor-shame culture it was a public shaming. It was a way for the, the religious leaders to look at them and, and, and cause them to feel diminished and embarrassed and humiliated. This was the goal. And so that the people around them would see them as people with shame. Now, that's what's going on in the story, okay? And here's what happens. This is what I read it. I go, I can't make sense of this. They then left the presence of the council. What would the next words be for you? Angry? Dishonored? Not me, not again, I'm, I'm out. Got to organize a protest, man. We're going to publicly protest this to let them know that we have our freedoms. They left the presence of the council rejoicing, rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. The name, if you've been with us the last several weeks, the name of Jesus is everywhere. They heal a man in the name of Jesus. They preach the name of Jesus. They proclaim the resurrection in the name of Jesus. They are warned, Peter and John are warned to stop preaching the name of Jesus. And Peter and John says, listen, we are, can only testify of what we've seen and heard. They go back and they begin to proclaim the name of Jesus again. And they've been in the temple, and it's all around the name of Jesus. They've been warned in this text, no more proclaiming the name of Jesus. They were arrested for the name of Jesus. And now, they go out rejoicing. Where's the category for this? How do we make sense in a, in a world that says happiness is here, happiness is here, happiness is here? How do we make sense of a, a group of men who leave getting beaten and whipped and scourged, being threatened with their life, being told that you will lose everything if you don't stop. How do we make sense in this moment of these men walking out singing and rejoicing and praising? They have obtained something that we all want and need this morning. This is not faking it till you make it. These are men who are rejoicing when they have lost everything. So, so here's my question for you. What is it that brings you the most joy in life? And, and what do you believe that if it was taken from you would ruin your life and destroy your identity? What, the, what this story is pushing us towards is true 
and lasting happiness, but it's found somewhere that like, it can't be taken away from us. It can't be taken away from us. We are, man, I'm a complainer. I, I, I complain when my burger doesn't come out fast enough. I complain when my kids don't do everything just like I think they ought to do it in the way I think they should have done it and as fast as I wanted them to do it. There are all kinds of things in life that show that my heart is so fixed on my happiness being rooted in this moment and this, this, this immediate thing that I, I want for myself. All right, are you that way? What is it that you find the most joy in? And if God chose to take that, what would happen to your joy? There's something going on here that we need to wrestle with. And, and so, to be honest with you, this text is a call to joy. This sermon is a call for you to find the most happiness and joy in life. This text is, is an invitation to fullness and, and, and experience the beauty of all that God has for you. It is inviting you to be able to stand in any circumstance and be able to confess like the apostles that you would rejoice when the worst of things came upon you, even if it was because of your faith. Now, what's happened in the story is that the, the, the Christian church has grown from about 120 people to multiplied thousands, but it's all in the city of Jerusalem. And this is the central city in, in Israel. It's the centri- central city in um, the Jewish faith and culture. Um, it, it also was uh, the city where Christianity exploded. And so there's this tension growing between this growing number of people who have seen Christ Jesus as their Messiah, as their King, as their Redeemer uh, from the Jewish faith. So they're looking in the Old Testament and realizing that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises of God and they have come to Jesus. And we have this growing church but there's growing tension between the growing church and the religious establishment, the same people who sent Jesus to the cross. This, this group called the Sanhedrin, it is a group of 70 ruling elders made up primarily from two competing uh, ideologies within Judaism, the Sadducees and Pharisees. More on them in a moment, but um, now they are kind of the Supreme Court and, and the Senate at the same time for Jewish way of, of, of life and thought. And they are feeling the tension because They got rid of Jesus because Jesus had become a threat to their power and their belief system. And now the apostles are preaching the resurrection of Jesus. That's their one message. They are preaching Jesus over and over again, the resurrection that Christ died. And they they literally keep saying to these men, y'all killed him, but God still loves you and he will save you. But they're they're getting a little unhappy with this. And so uh, things started going sideways with persecution. The church also had a little bit of a hiccup with their own church body. We talked about this last week as this couple named Ananias and Sapphira um, lied to God and God took their lives right in front of them. And so God reveals his justice and power. And you have to go hear that sermon last week to wrestle with that. But, but the church is growing so fast, but there's already like real life stuff happening within the church. There is pressure growing both from the outside, from persecution and, and uh, just, just hatred of people in the culture and, and pressure growing from the inside as they, they are starting to deal with people who are false believers, who have potentially could be false teachers, that sort of thing. And, and what happens is the story leads us 
just the previous passage told us about the power of the apostles, that they were healing, and, and man, even like Peter's walking through crowd, and his shadow falls on some people, and like, you know, here's this lame guy, and it, like, Peter doesn't turn and go, be healed, get up. He just walks by a shadow, and now the guy hops up, and he's walking away. That people's diseases, like the power that God chose to have at this moment to authenticate their message was significant, and the church is growing, people are believing, and there are crazy things happening in the name of Jesus, signs and wonders all over the place. But now it's gotten sideways. And so what happens, this story that we read this morning kind of has three stanzas, three, three kind of movements. And there's some funny things in here, some fun in here, especially in the first uh, thing, because what happens is they get frustrated. They go arrest them, and we're told that they are thrown into public prison, which is just a reference to the fact they were thrown in jail. But it's a jail where, um, like, they're not even hiding it. The, the, the Sadducees and the high priests are not even hiding the fact that they are now going after them. It's no longer just Peter and John. They have gone after the apostles, the 12. Now all 12 of these dudes are thrown into prison in a place where everybody can see them. It is public prison, okay? Now, the Sadducees are this sect among, among Judaism. And the problem is that they are really sad, you see, So so you need to ask, why are they sad, you see? Well, they're sad because, bad joke, I know. Their belief system had rejected much of what we believe in Scripture, the supernatural power of God. They decided that the only Scripture they believed was, was the first five books of the Bible. They rejected any belief in the resurrection, and they rejected the belief in angels. Now, they're the ones who arrest them. The Pharisees are the other party, hold to the supernatural power of God, the resurrection. Like, this fight will go on all through this story of Acts. The Sadducees and Pharisees are two political tribes within the context of Jewish faith and life. And here's the gospel that gets set right in the middle of them, and it creates tension. But all of a sudden, there are going to be moments where, especially the Pharisees, are all of a sudden kind of siding with the Christians because at least they're talking about the resurrection and supernatural power of God and miracles. And the Sadducees have just rejected this, okay? So you got to understand this. The Sadducees with the high priest, who is a Sadducee, arrest these guys and throw them into public prison, okay? Now, now, now watch this. You, you got to get the humor, because God is funny, and so is Luke here, because they're in public prison. But what happens? Or, or, or before I get there, why are they there? They're there for preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That creates a problem for the Sadducees. That's why they're, they're so frustrated and heated. It's not just Jesus. They are, if, if what they're saying is true, the entire belief structure of the Sadducees has been defeated at that point, period. If, if, if Jesus rose again, there is a resurrection. There is a God who performs miracles. There is super, like the whole belief system of what they believe is true. Now, don't miss this. For so many of us, we so long for our friends and neighbors and people to come to Jesus. But convictions and attitudes and values are so deeply entrenched in our world. And and we can see the beauty of Christ so plainly, but just dealing with and mentioning Jesus can bring so much vitriol. And it's not just because they don't want to believe in Jesus. It's because if what you are saying is true, everything they have built their life upon is not 
That's not an easy thing to deal with. It is what is needed in this story and there. What do the Sadducees need to do? They need to repent of their false beliefs of their sin and run to Jesus. What do our neighbors need to do? They need to repent of their false beliefs, their sin, and run to Jesus. But it's a hard sell when your whole life has been built on like going away to college and being told that the world functions in this way and being told certain set of beliefs and your whole identity and sense of personhood is built on that. But then what happens? Like, like they're in public prison, right? And they're put there by the guys who don't believe in angels. So God sends an angel to let the apostles go. Isn't that awesome? Like you should read that and go, oh, that I understand. That's funny right there. Like, God doesn't just open the door. He, God could have just went, open the door, go. He sends an angel. And so the, they leave public prison. But if you read the text, you realize nobody knows they're gone. The angel let them go. And so they wake up the next morning. They send uh, the guards to go find them, to bring them. They're going to hold this trial in front of them. And the angel told them, I want you to go right back to the temple and preach Jesus again. Now, again, what would you do? You got thrown in prison. You've, you've been warned once. Angel tells you, go, go do exactly what, I, what got you in big trouble. Or you're like, uh, I don't think I can pull this off. But they go right back the next morning at daybreak. They're in the temple preaching again. Meanwhile, they send the guards to go get the, the dudes, right? Get the, the apostles. And they show up and the doors are locked. The guards are there, which means the guards are assuming that these guys are in prison. Nobody's opened the door. There's no other way out. There's no like back tunnel to get through, but they are not there. So I don't know. I don't know if this was like the angel did like a Star Trek thing where they beamed them out. I don't know if they walked through it. We don't know. An angel let, set them free. They're preaching in the temple, but nobody knows it in public prison. And, and, and so what happens is they, they show up and they go, the guards are there. That's good news. The doors were locked. That's good news. But boss, they, they ain't there. And we're told here that the Sadducees were perplexed. Love that word. They're, they're perplexed. They're like, I don't know how to make sense of this. Right about that time, another temple officer shows up and goes, hey, did you, didn't you arrest those dudes yesterday? I thought you threw them in prison overnight. They're, they're back in the temple preaching again proclaiming Jesus and the resurrection, talking about the name of Jesus. And so, so the temple guard and the officers go, and now we're told, and, and, and this tells us the type of popularity they gained, they went and got them, but, but they didn't do it by force because they knew if they got it by force that they would get stoned. Now, I, I need to help you. This is not Colorado Stoning, okay? We're, we're not talking about, you know, like, hey, if we bring them back, we'll have a party. No, no, this is picking up rocks and killing them. I know I'm full of bad puns this morning, all right? Uh, but, but they are brought back, and, and they are placed now in front of the Sanhedrin. And, and so then the second phase of the story is the trial. And in the trial, there's a charge. The basic charge is you keep preaching Jesus, you've been warned, and you're trying to bring this man's blood upon us. That's a biblical phrase that says you are trying to accuse us of murder of this man. Yes, we had him killed, but he was guilty of what we charged him. But you're trying to accuse us of murder. And the apostles respond with beauty by proclaiming the gospel. And I want you to look at verse 31. I love this here. Verse 31, he says this. 
uh, Peter speaking on behalf of the, the apostle says this, God exalted him, Jesus, at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. That word leader there, it's an interesting word. It's a word that actually was used in, the old, in uh, uh, ancient Greece to refer to the heroes of the city. Usually, like, like, so for example, Hercules was a, this word, ar- archetype is what it is. It, he is the hero. He, they're saying, listen, Jesus is the founder and the hero of our faith. That's who Jesus is, right? I, in the world of Marvel, the greatest superhero is Christ. Uh, Tony Stark is dead. Jesus is alive. Just saying, okay? And, and, and if I just did a spoiler for you, I'm sorry, that movie's like five years old. All right, anyway. Uh, and so, and so he is our hero and he's our leader. We can't do anything else. And, 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 but, but check this phrase out in, in, in verse Peter, verse 29. And the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Hold on to that. We're coming back to that. That's an important phrase in the text. And so what we have here is them again proclaiming the gospel, reminding them that, that God has granted, yes, you killed Jesus, but God has granted Israel repentance and faith. You can run to Jesus. You can be saved today. And so then what happens is in the middle of this trial, they are now furious when they bring it, like instead of backing down, they look right at him and go, yep, y'all whack the son of God. And, and, and the outcome is they're furious, we're gonna kill him. Up steps this guy named Gamaliel. Now, here's what's interesting. Here's Luke just telling us names in history. Believe it or not, Gamaliel is still known today. He and his father, whose name was Hillel, were kind of rabbis who formed a school of thought that is still referred to in, in Judaism today as the Hillelian and Gamaliel school of Judaism. His name still in Jewish pop culture is like he and his dad formed and founded a whole way of thinking that is still influenced, like that is still studied in theology schools of Judaism. He's a guy of great influence, and probably at this point in time, he was actually president of the Sanhedrin. He had the high priest who was the religious leader, but the president kind of ran how things went, you know, made sure Robert's rules, orders were followed, all that sort of stuff. That's, you know, joke again. Anyway. Uh, so he has influence, and he stands up, but he's a Pharisee. Notice that. He's the guy who believes in a resurrection. He believes in literal translation of Scripture. He stands up and looks at him. By the way, we're going to find out later, he is Paul's mentor. Saul, Paul, this dude is the one who poured into Saul's life. Paul learned under him. Uh, and we'll hit that later. But here's Gamaliel standing up and saying, all right, listen, we need to be careful here. This stuff has happened before. We have this Jesus guy, he's dead. There have been a couple stories like this. There's this guy named Thaddeus and this guy named uh, Simon. They, they, uh, they started insurrections. They raised up followers. They went and tried to cast off Rome. They went and claimed to be the Jewish Messiah, all this sort of stuff. And what happened is Rome came in, killed them. And for a while, there was kind of a, a deal going, but eventually that the core of their followers just fell away and it was over. He says, listen, if this is of man, th- what's happening here with these apostles is not gonna have a sustained energy. Don't get more blood on your hands. Don't get yourself in more trouble here. Just let them go. But if it's of God, you're not going to be able to stop it. Now, here we are reading this 2,000 years later. Ain't nobody stopping it. Ain't nobody stopping it. This is of God, and we are descendants of this moment in the whole story of Acts. Right? And 
God is going to see that his word goes forth in the world and he accomplishes his purpose and he is gonna gather a people for himself at the end of time that will worship around the throne. A, a tribe, that, a, a, a people from every tribe and every people in every nation who have found their happiness in the Lord. And we will be happy and joyful for all of eternity. But they, they come back and they warn them and then they beat them and then we have this response and then it, the text tells us, the last verse says, they just go right back to the temple doing what they were doing before. Obeying God rather than men, preaching Christ, making much of Jesus and more and more people come to faith in Jesus. They are exuding joy in this moment but their joy in the moment is just a joyful heart at all times. H- how can we have that kind of joy. John Piper has given this definition of joy. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. In other words, Piper is saying, and what Piper will go on to say, his his most famous statement is that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. In other words, Piper is the John Piper, pastor from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, author of Desiring God and countless other books. And I will just say, any book you can get your hand on was written by John Piper. Grab it, read it, devour it. But his central point in all of his books is this, that it is when, when we find joy in any circumstance in Christ, that is when God is most glorified in you and me. That it is, it is our joy. This is the story of the church. It's not just here. The reason that verse makes me tremble is because the whole story of Christianity in in the course of the world is that people went to their deaths singing and praising and rejoicing. People are burning at the stake and Christians are being burned at the stake and rather than cursing their accusers, they are pleading with them to believe in Jesus and they are singing and rejoicing. People are being taken and thrown to the lions in the Roman Empire. There's some crazy stories. I was thinking about sharing them and I was like, I can't go for like two hours today to tell you all these stories. But crazy stories. One of a woman who was still nursing her baby who would not renounce Christ, who was thrown with a, a group of Christians to the lions. She was baptized in prison. Her family took her baby, begged her to renounce Christ, and she wouldn't do it, and stood there as bulls are mauling her and her friends, singing to Christ praises of joy. And the world looks at that and goes, I don't have a category for that. I am doing everything for myself to make myself happy, and I am not. That's happening to them, and they have joy. How do we make sense of that? And God is glorified. This is where the glory of God, where people who are having this happen to them are still rejoicing. And again, it's not fake it till you make it. it. This is people out of a heart that has found true satisfaction and know that because of the resurrection, that satisfaction goes forever and ever and ever and ever. Take my life. Sudden death, sudden glory, right? You can't. Kill me because I know Jesus is alive. That's who these guys are. These guys saw the risen Jesus. We've experienced the risen Jesus. And you can't take that from them and you can't take him from us. And that's where joy is found. That's what the text is leading us to. Here's, here's my definition. Not that my definition matters, but I thought about this. I believe that, that joy is the experience of deep satisfaction as a person finds Christ as his or her 
ultimate treasure. The experience of deep satisfaction as a person finds Christ as his or her ultimate treasure. I mean, I mean just picture it here. Here's this little four-year-old sitting, in, and this four-year-old's got a toy, right? And at the moment, that toy is all that matters in the world. They are happy because they have a toy, right? And, and they're enjoying the toy. But two things could steal their happiness. The first is some other kid comes and takes the toy. And then we see the wrath and fury of a, of a child who's had their whole identity stolen and their whole sense of purpose and meaning in life taken from them, right? And they are screaming bloody murder because that kid took my toy. Like, like we've all been there, right? We've seen that. But the other thing is that eventually that kid's going to look at that toy and go, it's not fun anymore. It's not satisfying. It's not fulfilling. And so they put the toy down thinking if I get that toy. And now they ultimately, the toy they want is in the hands of another kid. And they believe that their whole sense of happiness and identity and worth and value is wrapped up in getting that toy that's being played with that kid. And so what do they do? They either sit in the corner and cry because they don't believe they're strong enough to take it or they go take that toy. And now the other kid is crying and screaming because their whole sense of identity and happiness has been taken from them, Right? In the whole of the Bible and the whole of human history is the story of people who were holding toys in their hand, believing it could make them happy, and either having that toy rest in their hands or taken from them, and their whole sense of identity and worth and meaning is gone. We are seeing this in our cultures. Our teenagers are being told over and over again, pursue what makes you happy. And they think, if I just get this toy, if I get affirmation from that boy, if I can just get known, if I can just have this many Instagram followers or this many people on social media, if I can, like, the whole industry of social media is kids pursuing and young adults and maybe some of you pursuing an image of happiness and it never is enough because somebody doesn't like it, somebody doesn't follow you, somebody has more followers, and it's leaving us hollow and empty. And into this world, we need to be telling people, both in our lives and our lips, that true happiness is yours. Our Christianity is not looking at the world going, what we want to do is we want you to come to church and come to Jesus so your life will stink. But one day you get to go to heaven when you die. I was laying with my wife in bed. She reached over and grabbed my hand. And she just said, we are so blessed. Now part of it is because we have a really comfortable, select comfort bed, and that is to the glory of God. <laughs> she has her sleep number, I have mine. We're happy. <laughs> but, but it was more than that. She was just saying, our, our life is so good. And she's right. I, following Jesus is not to your ruin. It's to your joy, even if your life is taken for it. Like, do you, do you get that? And what happens is, how do, you, how do you get here? How do you get here? And just for a few minutes, I, I just want to wrap up because I think what's happening here is connected to a whole bunch of Bible and we need to see how do we get to this point? Like you're here like, all right, this is cool, but I, like I go to church, I say my prayers, I do this. I am not happy. And, and don't mishear me. I, 
This is not a pill in a bottle. Do this three times and you'll be. It is a lifelong pursuit. In the midst of this, some of us have hardship and darkness and struggles. Yes, we need to go see counseling. We need to have people who pour into our lives. We need to be in community. This is part of the journey of people who just love us when it's hard and keep reminding us keep going, keep going, keep going. The Lord will meet you here. It'll be okay. I'm not saying there's a quick fix, but there are two things that are related to what's happening in this text that we need to see. And I think these two things, we need to hear this in the midst of this. Why do they rejoice? The reason they rejoice is the path to our joy. And the first reason they rejoice is simple. They rejoice because it is commanded. It is commanded of them. Sam Storms has, has said this in, in an article from the Gospel Coalition. He says, joy in God matters profoundly because more than any other human response or experience, joy clearly and thoroughly reveals the worth, value, and splendor of whatever it is that evokes it. In other words, enjoyment or delight is the single most effective means for glorifying and magnifying God. Deep Durable delight in God is how he, most, he is most glorified and honored in you. God is most glorified in us when we are most pleased, satisfied, fascinated, and enthralled with the splendor of his beauty so that he can be seen in the, so, so that that can be seen in the face of Jesus Christ. And so here's, here's what happens in the scripture. The Bible has this banging drum. It starts in the Psalms. It says it over and over again. We get to the New Testament, the words of Jesus, this banging drum that says, when life is awful, rejoice, praise, worship, lift up your voice. It is commanded of us. You know, here's Pete and John and the dudes, and they go out singing. They're praising. Imagine we could stop on the street and go, why in the world are you singing here? I don't know what their answer would be, but my guess is part of the answer is, they would say, well, because Jesus told us this is what we were supposed to do when it was hard. He never commanded us to go sit in a corner and sulk and feel sorry for ourselves. He never commanded us to, to, to try to hold on to our lives. And, and he just commanded us to obey God and then rejoice. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 12, Jesus, speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you when, and, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely in my account. Rejoice. Do you hear it? Rejoice. And be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets that were before you. Philippians 4.4 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. Beloved, do not be surprised. Now, this is Peter, who is part of these dudes. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the, the, the name of Christ, there's that name, remember? The name of Christ. You are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. James chapter one, verses two through four. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you uh, meet Trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Do you see this banging drum that says, when it's hard, when you're suffering, when you are hurting, and even if you are like threatened with your life, the right response is rejoice. Like, is, is that the visceral response from your heart? It's not from mine way too often. But, but, but here's what happens. When I come to, like, again, 
It's not fake it till you make it, but sometimes it is. Because here's what happened when, when I'm suffering, when I get bad news, when you know, things go hard in my life, when, when, when things hurt. And the decision to rejoice, to find joy, is my lifting my chin off of me and seeing the beauty of Christ, both in his glory and in his suffering. And to be reminded that no matter how bad it gets, God is redemptive with my journey and resurrection is coming. It is, I am so quick to get my eyes so focused on me. And the act of choosing to rejoice when you don't feel like rejoicing is God's remedy to lift your chin and see something greater and more beautiful. Right? You get that? So, so praise and worship, rejoicing. I mean, I'm just telling you one of the things that I, I will challenge all of you to do is find some music. Eric's got a great Spotify playlist out there that is music that is your go-to when you are dark, that just starts singing and praising and worshiping Jesus. I've got a whole, like I've got three different playlists that are for three different moods that are all songs. Now, a lot of time we're driving around listening to rock and roll in my car, but I got also three playlists that are in my, my uh, music app that are designed for different moments and different situations. And one of them is literally a playlist that when I am like feeling sorry for myself, anybody with me? Can I get an amen? You ever have that? I, I intentionally go to that and start playing it. What's it do? It gets me singing and lifts my eyes off of me, right? It's commanded. So if you ask me, why, why were you rejoicing? Their answer is, Jesus told us to. It's what we're supposed to do. We're rejoicing. But it also is promised. There is a promise in this command, uh, a, a promise that God will give us joy. He will give us happiness. He will give us fulfilled meaning and beauty in our lives. Uh, Psalm chapter 16 verse 11 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is the fullness of What? Joy in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, I started by asking if you want to be happy. Do you want to be happy? You guys are not so convinced anymore. <laughs> no, we, we're Christians. We want to be miserable. We're, we're very content with, you know, I grew up in a church where everybody looked like they've been sucking on green persimmons and they were just sour. And that's the way I believe it's supposed to be, right? Amen, amen. Right? Do you want to be happy? He just said it. How, do you, how are you happy? The presence of God in your life. Pleasures forevermore. So, so why is it that we don't experience this? And I believe the, the clue is in the text. The clue is in the text. They look at Peter, John, the apostles, and they say, stop preaching the name. And listen to what I say. I told you we'd come back to this. We must obey God rather than men. The path to your joy in the Christian life is through obedience to Jesus. Period. For me and so many of us, our struggle with joy is deeply rooted to I want Jesus and to make me happy. So, so you get this 
woman who is engaged to a non-Christian man and her, the counsel of her church says, man, you should not marry a non-Christian. God's word is clear. And she says, but this is the way I will be happy. You, you find this young man who wants to be involved in church and wants to experience the joy of the Lord, but he is wrapped up in like sexual promiscuity and porn. And it's decaying his soul and he, can't figure out why there's no joy in life. You, you get people who are in church and they're at church all the time, but they're always chirping and talking. They're always gossiping. They, they love social media because it makes them feel so big to be able to cut other people down. And the path to joy in the Christian life is to trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than trust and obey. Now, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're like, okay, I don't quite get this. I want to tell you that the call to trust in Jesus is the call for you to the greatest happiness and joy in life that you can experience. It's for you. And today, we would invite you to come have a conversation with us. We can tell you how to meet Jesus, how to trust in him. He will transform your life, and he will give you a clear and lasting joy that will even, in moments like what the apostles go through, have you rejoicing even in darkness. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, God is most glorified in you when you are most joyful in him, when he is your treasure and there is nothing else. It's why gathering together every week is so important because what happens? Right after you leave here, your eyes start shifting away from glory and back to me, right? Do you do that? And I got to come back each week. It's why we experience the table because we need to come back to see where the glory is revealed is in the fact that Hebrews 12 tells us that Jesus, who for the, this is crazy, right? Who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame. The table and the blood of Jesus and the, the, the body broken is the path to joy. It's when I give myself back away to Christ and find only in him my true treasure. That's the path to joy. That is why the apostles leave the council rejoicing. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing and celebrate Jesus. We're going we're gonna to lift our hearts so our chins get off of me for a few minutes. Our band's coming up here, um, and we're going to sing and celebrate Jesus, lifting our chin and sing the glory of Christ. We are going to celebrate communion, reorienting our lives to the beauty of Jesus and how our joy is provided, reminding that resurrection comes after crucifixion, right? And, and we're going to celebrate this as God's blessing to us. And, and we're going to give. For those of us who are part of our church, this is our chance for you to give back because God has done so much. If you're a guest, we don't expect you to give it all. But we are going to celebrate for a few minutes so that in this moment we can reorient our lives to find joy. I love you. There is no happiness elsewhere that will last. The toy in your hands will either rust and become old and worthless to you or somebody will take it. And either way, your identity and joy built on anything else will not carry you to the last day.
but you can't take Jesus from me. Lord, we love you and praise you for this moment. Give us joy, true happiness and joy in Christ today. Let us find you as our treasure and our joy and our hope. And as we lift our voices to you, let us sing and celebrate the goodness of our God. In your name I pray, amen.